When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a few miles north of the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, there's a 3,600-acre patch of land called the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. During World War II, the U.S. military dug up a sizable portion of the area for the purpose of manufacturing high explosives. After the war was over, the military pulled up stakes and abandoned the facility, leaving behind a collection of underground tunnels, factories, and other buildings. As a result, the locals most often refer to this place as the TNT area. For a few years, the location was used as a toxic waste dump before it was handed over to the state and turned into a wildlife refuge and bird sanctuary. Over time, local young people began using the dusty dirt roads for drag racing and heading even further back into the woods as a convenient lover's lane. At about 11.30 p.m. on November 15, 1966, two young couples... Roger Scarberry and his wife Linda, along with Steve and Mary Mallett, were joyriding in the Scarberry's black 1957 Chevy through the TNT area when they had a terrifying encounter. They drove around past the decaying abandoned buildings and ended up pulling up alongside the old North Power Plant. The group had originally gone looking for friends to hang out with in the TNT, but no one was around. They weren't parked for very long before Linda Scarberry became the first to realize that they weren't alone. Linda gasped when she saw the two bright red circles staring at her. They appeared to be the eyes of some animal, but it was an animal unlike anything any of them had ever seen before. For one thing, the eyes were huge, nearly the size of the car's headlights. The Scarberries and the Mallets both described the creature they saw as being grayish in color, and it stood around six and a half to seven feet tall. They could tell that it had enormous wings folded over its back, although at the time, they only saw it walking around with an odd lopsided gait, like it was constantly on the verge of toppling over. The creature turned slowly away from them and shuffled toward the open door of the power plant. Steve shouted that they needed to get the hell out of there. Roger jammed on the gas pedal and they tore off through the gates onto the exit road. As they sped away towards Route 62, they saw the creature again, this time standing on a small hill near the road. As they raced past the creature, it suddenly unfolded its enormous bat-like wings and shot off straight up into the sky. But that wasn't the last they saw of it. Instead, the creature began following them. Roger got the Chevy racing up to more than 100 miles an hour, but somehow the creature still managed to keep pace with them. The winged beast kept swooping low over the car, although it never got in front of the vehicle. Later on, the four young people would all swear the creature had a wingspan at least 10 feet wide. Just when they reached the edge of town, the creature veered off suddenly and vanished into the night. The two couples headed to the Mason County Courthouse and frantically told their story to Deputy Millard Halstead. 
Officer Halstead was naturally skeptical, but he knew the Scarberries and the Mallets personally, and he didn't think they were crazy. He hopped into his patrol car and headed out to the TNT area to look around. He didn't find much of anything, although strangely at one point, he switched on his police radio and nearly jumped out of his seat when a loud, garbled signal blasted out of the speakers at him. The next morning, Sheriff George Johnson called a press conference and local reporters sent the story out across the AP wire. Within days, the enormous bird-like creature became national news. At the time, the Batman TV show was on the air. Some unnamed copy editor decided to give the mysterious creature a clever name that sounded just close enough to Batman that it wouldn't trigger a lawsuit. And from there, a legend was born. It's a name that today is nearly as famous as that of Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. A name that's inspired dozens of movies, comic books, and video games. That name, of course, is the Mothman. I'm Nate Hale, coming to you live from my secret lair beneath Wayne Manor. And this is The Conspirators. Even today, the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, isn't very big. Back in 2010, according to census data, the town only had 4,350 residents. It sits in the Ohio Valley at the confluence of the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers. It's because of its unique location near two major waterways that the town is able to boast a National Guard armory, a Naval Reserve Center, and several manufacturing facilities for the Navy. During the 1700s, as white settlers moved into the area there were a number of violent clashes between them and the native Shawnee and Mingo tribes leading up to the Battle of Point Pleasant of 1774. There's a legend that a 200-year curse was placed on the land by a Shawnee chief named Cornstalk. According to the story, Cornstalk negotiated a peace settlement between the whites and the natives, but was later murdered by the white settlers. Although it is true that Cornstalk was murdered, the part of the story about the curse is a little harder to confirm since the curse doesn't actually appear in print until 1923, when it was mentioned in a play about the town's founding. That didn't mean the town never experienced any bad luck, though. A lot of Native American blood was shed on that land. There's an actual mass grave of Native Americans in the vicinity of the McClintic Wildlife Management Area. On four occasions between 1913 and 1937, the Ohio River overflowed its banks and flooded the town, causing major destruction and financial ruin for many. Although the incident involving the Mothman told by the Scarberries and the Mallets was a story that gave the creature its name, it wasn't the first such sighting of an enormous bird-like creature reported in the area, nor was it the first such report anywhere in the world. Throughout the United States' Pacific Northwest, Stories of the giant Thunderbird date back hundreds of years to numerous Native American legends. Although some people swear they've continued seeing them all the way to the modern day. In the late 1800s, stories appeared in some Texas newspapers about a mysterious flying man who was sighted swooping through the air wearing some sort of mechanical apparatus. Although evidence seems to point to these tales being a hoax perpetrated by an imaginative newsman trying to sell some papers. In January 1926, sightings of a shadowy man-dragon were reported flying over southeastern China's Ten Dam, just before it collapsed, drowning 15,000 people. Back in West Virginia, 
A historian from Grenville State College named James Gay Jones began writing about a mysterious birdman sighted in the Point Pleasant area as early as 1914. Jones documented several of these sightings all the way up to the 1940s. On November 1, 1966, a National Guardsman claimed to have seen a large half-bird, half-man perched in a tree near the TNT area. Ten days later, another sighting occurred about 85 miles away from Point Pleasant in Clendenin, West Virginia, where a group of five gravediggers swore they witnessed a winged man soaring above them. On November 15th, the same night the Scarberries and the Mallets reported their encounter with the Mothman, another bizarre incident was reported 90 miles away by Merle Partridge, a building contractor from the town of Salem. He claimed to have been home watching television at about 10.30 p.m. when the screen lit up with a strange pattern that grew brighter and brighter until the picture tube blew out. At the same time, he began to hear an odd whining noise from outside that increased to an ear-splitting pitch, then abruptly ceased. Newell's dog, Bandit, began to howl out on the front porch, so Newell went out to investigate. When he went outside, Newell flicked his flashlight on and saw Bandit standing facing the pump house about 150 yards away from the house. Something was driving the dog crazy. Newell looked over at the field where the pump house stood and saw two red circles dancing around. Newell didn't think the red circles looked like eyes to him. The way they swooped around in circles, Newell thought they might be attached to the blades of a helicopter, only there wasn't any noise. Bandit was a trained hunting dog, and he shot off in the direction of the red circles. Newell called after his dog, but Bandit didn't return, not then, and not ever. Newell never saw his dog or the red circles again. One curious detail Linda Scarberry mentioned as she and the others raced away from the TNT power plant was that she noticed the carcass of a dead dog nearby. But when Deputy Halstead went out to the power plant to investigate that night, he said he didn't find a dog's body anywhere. The timeline of bizarre events surrounding that particular corner of West Virginia tend to jump all over. History is often like that, without neat lines to connect one event to the next. What I can say is that reports of high strangeness were coming in from all over in the days before the Scarberry sighting, and would keep coming for the next 13 months. And not just of unusual winged creatures either, but of all sorts of paranormal phenomena. Back then, many people throughout the state began reporting seeing UFOs. Many of those stories ranged from seeing strange lights in the sky, all the way up to those who claimed to have gotten up close and personal with the aliens themselves. On November 2, 1966, shortly after 6 p.m., a sewing machine salesman named Woodrow Woody Derenberger was driving home from his job in Marietta, Ohio, to his farmhouse in Mineral Wells, West Virginia. It was lightly raining, and as Woody came up on the intersection of Interstate 77 and Route 47, he thought a tractor-trailer truck had started tailgating him. He swerved to the side of the road to allow the truck to pass him, but to his amazement, the vehicle that passed him was not a truck, but a charcoal-colored UFO that he said resembled a kerosene lamp chimney. The craft was flying six inches off the ground, and after passing him, it turned and landed right there across both lanes of the road in front of him, forcing Woody to pull over. The door to the craft opened, and out stepped what Woody described as a fairly ordinary-looking man with slicked-back black hair. He had a wide, beaming smile, and he was wearing dark clothing. The man walked over to Woody's car door and spoke to Woody telepathically 
telling him he had nothing to be afraid of. He only wanted to ask him a few questions. The dark-clothed man identified himself as Indrid Cold, and he asked Wildy several questions about the surrounding area and a few other things. Before he left, he told Woody they would meet again. The alien being named Indrid Cold visited him again on several occasions, and even took him on a trip aboard his spaceship back to his planet of Lanulos. For a short time, Woody became a media sensation. But over the next few years, his life began to fall apart. He changed jobs, got divorced, and even vanished for six months, which is when he claimed to have been taken on board Indrid Cold's spaceship. In 1971, he self-published a book about his encounters titled Visitors from Lanulos. Author John Keel, who wrote what most consider to be the definitive book on the Mothman titled The Mothman Prophecies, actually wrote the introduction to Visitors from Lanulos, even though he admits in the introduction that he doesn't believe Woody's story either. One interesting tidbit from The Mothman Prophecies, though, is a story Keel tells of another local man named Tom who also encountered a strange, grinning alien who came down in a spaceship and spoke to him. Tom later swore he had never heard of Woody Derenberger before, and was shocked when he listened to a radio interview with Woody, and heard the man using the same name for the planet that the alien had mentioned to him, Lanulos. According to John Keel's book, many people throughout Point Pleasant and the surrounding region began reporting encounters with the mysterious men in black. No, we're not talking about Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones. The descriptions of these strangers varied, but most witnesses generally agreed that they were dark-complected, with straight dark hair and slanted, bulging eyes. The story of Indrid Cold often gets lumped in with these stories of the Men in Black because of some striking similarities in their descriptions and behavior. If you look up Indrid Cold, you will sometimes find him referred to as the Grinning Man because of the wide, unnerving grin he was sometimes reported to have. Some of the witnesses to the mysterious strangers in town that they encountered also often grinned in the same manner. Some people claimed that these men in black showed up at their homes at odd hours of the night. They drove older model, dark-colored sedans that appeared in pristine condition despite their age. They sometimes showed badges with unusual designs and identified themselves as U.S. government agents. And they'd ask some pretty strange questions. One woman claimed that one of the agents asked her for salt because he needed to take a pill. When John Keel came to Point Pleasant investigating the Mothman and made himself a central figure in the story, some of the locals claimed the men in black began asking them what they knew about Keel. A local waitress claimed one of these men came into her diner one day. When she asked him what he wanted to eat, he said, bring me food. She asked him what sort of food, and he acted like he didn't understand the question. She eventually talked him into ordering a steak, but then the waitress claimed she had to show him how to use a knife and fork, as well as how to eat it. In addition to the Men in Black stories, there were also reports of cattle mutilation in some farmers' fields, and mysterious poltergeist activity that occurred in a few homes. And then, of course, there were the hundreds of UFO reports that poured into the local newspapers and police departments. Some newspapers became so inundated with these calls that they had to assign a special reporter just to answer the UFO hotline. Mary Heyer, the Point Pleasant correspondent for the Athens, Ohio newspaper The Messenger, said that during a single weekend, she was swamped with more than 500 phone calls. Immediately following the Mothman encounter reported by the Scarberries and the Mallets, dozens of locals began swarming the TNT area, armed with rifles and pistols, looking to hunt down the creature. Things got so out of hand that the National Guard had to be called in to restore order. 
Although none of the hunters ever managed to bag themselves a Mothman, they did report plenty of strange lights in the sky over the TNT area throughout the next several evenings. Through the weeks and months that followed, hundreds of eyewitnesses reported seeing the Mothman as well. Most of the sightings seemed to center around the North Power Plant in the TNT area. A local man named Bob Bosworth said that he and a friend were out riding their motorcycles through the TNT area on a bright moonlit night when they spotted two red lights on top of the power plant. They pulled up to the plant and went inside to get a closer look. They headed upstairs and saw a large creature, bigger than a normal man, lumbering toward them. He described the creature as being shaped like a bird. It had a wide head that rested directly on its shoulders, and the body shape bulged outwards like a bird with its wings folded in at its sides. The creature didn't seem particularly threatening, and eventually it just waddled off then flew away. Many of the descriptions of the Mothman often sound similar to this one. In fact, one of the primary explanations many skeptics give to what people were actually seeing was that it was just a misidentified bird. This doesn't seem completely out of the question either, considering the TNT area is a bird sanctuary after all. One university professor theorized back in 1966 that the Mothman was just a sandhill crane. Other scientists believe that Mothman was nothing more than an owl that got exaggerated in size with each retelling of the story. It wouldn't be the first time an owl was said to be mistaken for a monster either. In 1952, in Flatwoods, West Virginia, a large creature that would go on to be known as the Flatwoods Monster was seen following reports of a strange light in the sky. The conventional explanation following that particular incident was that the light witnesses observed was nothing more than a meteor, and the creature was just a barn owl perched in a tree. But despite the common beliefs among many skeptics that the Mothman people were seeing were simply birds, plenty of people stuck to their stories that what they had seen was a real-life monster. Soon these reports came to the attention of several well-known paranormal investigators, including John Keel and Gray Barker. When Keel came to Point Pleasant, he began interviewing many of the witnesses who had seen strange things. Together, Keel and Mary Heyer investigated many of these claims, and would become central figures in the story themselves. Keel wrote in his book The Mothman Prophecies that throughout this time he and several others began receiving a series of strange phone calls. Sometimes people would pick up the phone and hear garbled noises and unworldly screeching sounds. Other times Keel claimed he received angry threats and even prophetic messages of the future. Both Mary Heyer and a friend of Keel's claimed to have received strange phone calls from someone who sounded exactly like Keel himself. But Keel denied ever making those calls. Keel also claimed in his book that he received a call from another UFO researcher named Gray Barker, but Barker swore he never made that call either. When Keel began receiving exorbitant phone bills that didn't reflect the actual calls he had made, he refused to pay and the phone company cut off his service. But despite having his phone service shut off, he kept receiving weird calls even though it shouldn't have been possible. This sort of thing went on for a full year, although by the time December 1967 rolled around, the number of UFO and Mothman sightings had dwindled. Even still, there were some Point Pleasant residents around then who began having terrifying nightmares. One woman recalled having a strange dream about people drowning, and of Christmas presents floating in water. Another woman had dreams about people drowning in the Ohio River. Then on December 15, 1967, at around 5 p.m., the 700-foot silver bridge connecting Point Pleasant to Ohio suddenly collapsed. 
It was rush hour, and dozens of vehicles plunged into the icy waters of the Ohio River. 46 people were killed in the incident, two of whom were never recovered. Some of those people had been coming home from doing their Christmas shopping. There, among the wreckage left behind by all the cars and broken pieces of the bridge, floated dozens of brightly colored Christmas presents. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Immediately following the bridge collapse, for the most part, the reports of Mothman and UFOs ceased. Nobody from town wanted to talk about such nonsense anymore in the wake of the tragedy. But even still, that wasn't entirely the end of the stories about strange activities in Point Pleasant. Sometime later, another wrinkle was added to the Mothman story when some witnesses came forward claiming that just a few days before the Silver Bridge collapsed, they'd seen a couple of dark figures climbing up the side of the bridge. Then about a month after the bridge collapse, Mary Heyer was working late in her office in the county courthouse when a strange-looking man walked in the door. He was extremely short, and he had unusual-looking eyes that were covered with thick glasses. He had long black hair, and he spoke in a low, halting voice. Mary thought he had some sort of speech impediment, and something about the man gave her the creeps. He asked her a number of questions about people who had seen strange lights in the sky. He kept inching closer and closer to Mary, until she finally called the newspaper's manager into the office with her. At one point, the strange man noticed a pen in her desk, and he picked it up and began looking at it with amazement. Mary told him he could take it if he wanted. This appeared to delight the man who ran out of the office with it. Weeks later, Mary was startled to see the same man out on the street watching her. When she caught his eye, he hopped into a large black sedan and sped off. From there, the stories of high strangeness occurring in that part of West Virginia mostly faded away. In 1975, John Keel published his book, The Mothman Prophecies, which brought a minor resurgence in interest in the story. In 2002, a film version starring Richard Gere became a box office hit and helped turn Point Pleasant into a bona fide tourist destination. The town erected a 12-foot metallic statue of the Mothman, and every year they hold their annual Mothman Festival. In 2005, the Mothman Museum and Research Center opened its doors to the public. So what was, or should I say is, the Mothman? There are, of course, plenty of theories. Keep in mind, although many of the UFO reports were documented in local newspapers, a lot of the weirdest stories about the events surrounding Point Pleasant come directly from John Keel's book. This isn't to say we can't trust what Keel wrote, but... At the same time, I should point out that five years before the book The Mothman Prophecies came out, UFO researcher Gray Barker published his own book on the incident titled The Silver Bridge. And following Gray Barker's death, some of his friends and family claimed that Barker privately thought UFO reports were just a bunch of silly nonsense, and that he had actually participated in perpetrating some hoaxes to sell books and deceive other UFO researchers. None of this has ever been proven with Keel but it is still interesting to note. 
I previously mentioned the common belief that the Mothman was nothing more than a normal bird combined with some overactive imaginations. Other, more fanciful theories have suggested that it wasn't just any bird, but some sort of mutant creature that resulted from living in an area that had once been used as a toxic waste dump. At least half a dozen local men each claimed that back in the late 60s, they had perpetrated a hoax by dressing up in a Halloween costume and jumping out at terrified young couples in the TNT area. Another story that claims the Mothman was just a hoax involves some board construction workers who said they used helium from welding tanks to make balloons out of sheet plastic. They then tied red flashlights to them one night and let them go. The weight of the flashlights kept them from drifting only high enough to clear the treetops. This, of course, sounds like a pretty weird thing to do to entertain yourself, but sure, why not? Yet another theory suggests that the Mothman was really a mischievous military pilot flying his plane low over the Ohio River at night. Although that one incident couldn't possibly explain the hundreds of UFO sightings throughout those 13 months. In 2014, the February issue of Soldier of Fortune magazine contained an article that claimed the Mothman sightings were really Green Berets testing top-secret, low-opening parachutes for use in Vietnam. According to the article, the paratroopers used luminescent paint to keep track of each other. What the Green Berets hadn't counted on were that people on the ground could see them as well. The story of the glowing paratroopers is an interesting one, but it doesn't account for everything people claim to have witnessed. Nor do any of the other theories either. There are those like John Keel who see the events in Point Pleasant in spiritual terms. You may find it surprising, but Keel didn't believe that UFO sightings were aliens from another world. Rather, he took a more spiritual stance, stating his belief that they were supernatural beings he referred to as ultra-terrestrials and that these invisible creatures could take on whatever form they wanted, accounting for not only UFOs, but for ghosts, demons, Bigfoot, and pretty much every other reported paranormal activity. In ancient Hindu and Buddhist mythology, there is a mythical half-man, half-bird creature known as a Garuda. According to legend, the Garuda is a protector of sorts. In fact, the Garuda is the national symbol of Thailand and Indonesia, and is even used in the name of the Indonesian National Airlines, Garuda Indonesia. In the Mothman prophecies, John Keel thinks the Mothman might be the living embodiment of the Garuda, and that the creature actually appears at times as an early warning system of major disasters. Even long after people stopped seeing Mothman in Point Pleasant, other sightings of enormous bird-like creatures allegedly occurred near large catastrophes around the world. On September 10, 1979, a group of miners in Freiburg, Germany, claimed that they came face-to-face with an enormous winged creature with large red eyes, that blocked them from entering the mine where they worked. About an hour after the encounter, the men heard a loud, seismic rumble as the mine collapsed. If they had entered the mine as planned, they surely would have all died. Throughout 1985, people who lived near the nuclear power plant at Chernobyl claimed to have seen a huge black bird soaring over the plant in the weeks before the worst nuclear catastrophe in history occurred. Those who saw the creature also reported having terrible nightmares about an impending disaster as well as receiving strange, harassing phone calls in the middle of the night. This all continued until the day of the accident on April 26, 1986, after which 14,000 nearby residents were forced to evacuate their homes. Other sightings of a large, red-eyed creature were reported in 2009 by the people of La Junta, Mexico, right before a deadly swine flu outbreak. In 2007, the Mothman was seen once again near the I-35 West Bridge, which opened for traffic in 1967, the same year the Silver Bridge collapsed. 
Then on June 27, 2007, the I-35 West Bridge collapsed during rush hour, killing 13 people and injuring 145 more. There are those who claim to have seen a black-winged creature flying near New York City's Twin Towers in the days leading up to the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. And other witnesses who claim to have seen a similar creature flying around the site of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster on March 11, 2011. The fact of the matter is, though, despite all these chilling anecdotes, there's just no way to prove any of them are real. The Mothman has built up its own popular mythology, and people are always finding ways to add to it. You can find alleged photos and videos of the Mothman online. But so far, all of them have proven to be either misidentified animals or creative use of Photoshop. Whenever a major disaster occurs, we humans are hardwired to try to make sense of the tragic event and to find some deeper meaning within. Perhaps the Mothman is simply our way of placing some spiritual significance around tragic events. Some psychiatrists have suggested that people who claim to see creatures like Mothman or other paranormal phenomena are simply filling in the gaps in their minds that are created when they catch a glimpse of something they can't identify with bits of knowledge they picked up from pop culture and elsewhere. In this way, the Mothman legend has a way of feeding itself and of becoming further embellished with each retelling. Or perhaps not. In 2017, 55 eyewitnesses reported a large flying humanoid with glowing red eyes soaring over the city of Chicago. Many of those witnesses described seeing the shadowy winged creature in flight, but a few others swore they saw it land on the hoods of cars, peering at them through windows or even swooping down at them from above. Numerous local media articles have been written about the strange sightings, and even a couple of rap songs. But if we are to believe that the Mothman is a harbinger of terrible events, at least up until today, no major disaster has occurred in the city of Chicago. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, and Entirely Fictional Identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have a couple new Patreon supporters to thank, Thank you so much to Alexandra and Logan. I wanted to remind you that if you're interested in helping support the show, if you subscribe to my Patreon account, you can get access to all sorts of bonuses like stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our exclusive mini-episodes. Something else you can do to help support the show is subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you're not on Apple, you can also find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and many of your favorite podcast apps, as well as our very own website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us again next time.